0: Welcome back, listeners, to Matt Goes to the Movies. We are once again exploring the diverging timelines and delving headfirst into the extended podcast universe for Rob's Reviews. My name is Rob Greaves, and I'm happy you chose to download this show. Whatever you're doing while you're listening, whether it's commuting to work or school, hitting the treadmill, or completing other side quests in your life, we really appreciate you choosing this show to help pass the time. Please be sure to subscribe to Matt Goes to the Movies wherever you get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And be sure to interact with us on all of those platforms. You can also email the show at podcast at gmail.com. We'd love hearing from listeners and would love to hear what you think of this show as well as any others on the channel. Cult classic movies. What makes a movie a cult classic? Many times, it is simply a film that didn't get a ton of critical praise or had the misfortune of releasing the same time as a mega-hit blockbuster, but subsequently develops a massive fan base that grows the film's popularity by word of mouth. Oftentimes, this happens by a friend or co-worker repeatedly demanding that you go home and watch something tonight. You got to do this right away. Cult films can grow so much in popularity that they elevate an obscure film to one that gets its own film festival Special edition re-releases will cause critics to go back and reassess their initial reviews, have their characters featured in cameos during Super Bowl commercials, get books written about them exploring the philosophical implications of the film's events, get selected to the Library of Congress's National Film Registry as culturally historical and are mined endlessly for memes and gifs. Fun fact, currently on Wikipedia's entry on cult films is a picture of Julianne Moore and Jeff Bridges from Lebowski Fest 2011. The Big Lebowski is a film I was introduced to by a neighbor in my freshman dorm, Joe, who became one of my best friends from college. Our circle of friends watched it nearly nonstop for a good portion of my early time in college and the dialogue weaved its way into our daily conversations. Tragically, Joe passed away a few years back and I actually hadn't rewatched this film start to finish since then. So before we went live tonight, I mixed up a white Russian for myself and poured a little out for Joe. Currently sitting at 83% critically on Rotten Tomatoes, with users giving it a 93% rating, The Big Lebowski released in March of 1998, with a budget of $15 million, earning a worldwide gross of $46.7 million. The film was written, directed, and produced by the Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan, and stars Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Steve Buscemi, Julianne Moore, Philip Seymour Hoffman, David Huddleston, and John Turturro. The Coen brothers based their movie on a Raymond Chandler-style detective stories, and swapped out the savvy Philip Marlowe for a stoner who just likes the bull. I've been meaning to pull this one off my shelf for a while, and I've been pretty excited to talk about it on the air, so I invited someone along to help me discuss this all-time classic someone who might be among the laziest people in Washington County, someone who mixes a hell of a Caucasian and is probably mictorated on his fair share of rugs in his lifetime. Because I'm not talking on the phone, hosting a podcast and handling a limited amount of money all at the same time. Please help me welcome back to the show. My brother, Eric, Eric, thank you for rejoining the show.
1: Yeah. The the Royal. <laughs> war,
0: right? Yes. Uh, yes, uh, definitely. So, um eric we uh we definitely want to take a second and thank the the listeners who have uh downloaded fight club and downloaded goodfellas the other two uh matt goes to the movies extended podcast universe shows that we put together um it's really pretty awesome to see how many people have downloaded that and are interacting with the show and and talking about how much they liked it so uh definitely we want to say thank you for that um yeah,
1: thanks. That kicks ass. Your yeah, uh,
0: honestly, that's that's one of the best things you can do for a, a podcast is is not just tell like a cult classic movie where you tell somebody about the movie that you got to go home and watch this, you got to go home and watch this show, you got to go home and watch this movie. Encourage your friends, download this show, download this channel, subscribe to Matt Goes to the Movies, and certainly uh, our, our friend Harrison's show, The Basement Binge, they're both great shows that you should definitely encourage your friends to listen to. Uh, Eric, do you remember anything about the first time that, or maybe one of the first times that uh, you watched The Big Lebowski? Because I'm certain I introduced you to it while, while I was still in college. Do you remember anything about it? Yeah.
1: I, I remember not really getting it at the time. And, I, yeah, it was definitely when you were in college. I don't remember if I watched it in your dorm or one of your apartments or what, but um, I, it was certainly entertaining the first go around. I laughed a lot. But the the art of it was lost on me because I was just an idiot high school kid, so I didn't really know anything. So, um, I, you know, that my appreciation has, for this has grown exponentially since then. So, uh, you know, I recommend, like so many other things, if you watch this once, decades ago and it didn't really do it for you give it another try
0: you know this is a film that's bounced around on a variety of streaming platforms normally i like to try to recommend where it is uh, for listeners who want to listen to the show and say you know what i remember how great that movie was i want to go watch it again uh up until last week um it was on netflix and has since disappeared it's kind of been on again off again i think it's been amazon on amazon prime on again off again uh, i don't believe it's currently streaming anywhere so uh, go out and buy a copy of this for yourself because this is one that you definitely need to watch and, and watch again. I I can't claim to know that I got all of things that were happening on this the first time I watched it. It, it definitely took me a couple times of watching it uh, to really kind of know the ins and outs of it. Um, but Eric, we're going to move into it into the next segment, which is called teaser trailer. And for anybody who is currently listening that has never seen this movie and you're trying to decide if this is something that you should get into because chances are you've seen, if you're on social media at all, you've seen the memes, you've seen the GIFs that are using uh, pieces of this movie. You definitely have friends that have quoted this movie to you at one point or another. Uh, what would you say, Eric, to somebody who's listening right now is trying to decide if this is something they should, uh, you know, if it's currently not streaming anywhere, they should take the time and the effort to go find and uh, and watch. What would you tell them to entice them?
1: All right, so we've already covered this, but I, I love a heist movie, right? And you could sort of whittle this down to being a heist-type movie, but it's really kind of like... Just picture a, a crime drama, but put a dark comedy spin on it, and instead of a hard-nosed detective, you've got a slacker stoner dude who's in charge of figuring stuff out. That's it.
0: <laughs> you know, this is... it's. It's hard to really do it justice, um, spoiler free, because this movie makes me laugh every time I watch it. Um, Lines that I can repeat out loud and then laugh immediately after the character says it, every time they do it. Um, You know, I love this movie every time I've seen it. I've never watched it and been, ah, I wish I would have done something different right then. Um, What's really intriguing about this, and, and you catch this the more times you watch it, it's a movie that is a series of scenes that are interconnected. And I know you're probably listening going, well, no shit, dummy. But each scene is really almost its own thing unto itself. I mean, they the Coen brothers put together just a, a masterpiece of, of what they've done in, you know, each scene has just got its own point, its own purpose. There's certain things that loosely tie all of these things together. But you could like you could skip forward and backward and watch just your favorite scenes because they completely work unto themselves. You don't really need to watch the whole movie if that's not your thing. It's it's just each scene is it's is so funny and so interesting uh, and so unique that when we get to the rewatchability rating in a little bit, you know, it'll be kind of interesting to talk about. Um, but every time I've watched this movie, it's been it's been a good time and I've enjoyed it and I, I've. Pulled the DVD out of my Xbox and, and been pretty happy about um, you know the last hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes that I spent. So uh, let's go ahead and move into we're now going to be in full spoiler territory. So if you have not seen The Big Lebowski and you've decided you're ready to check it out, uh, we're going to do some behind the scenes details uh, that are going to have some light spoilers in it, but uh, tread lightly from here on if you haven't seen it. So. Um, there's some really interesting details about this this film that I got the chance to do some research on and one of them is surrounds Jeff Bridges um the actor who plays the dude the our, our hero in this film and what's really interesting obviously he's a veteran actor he doesn't need a lot of help but really during uh, filming the only direction he actually asked the Cohen brothers for is he'd walk up to them and he'd just say did the dude burn one on the way over <laughs> and if they said yes then he would walk into the corner and rub his eye his knuckles into his eyes to try to give himself the appearance of being stoned uh, if they said yes, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, the briefcase. So uh, obviously a very big part of, of the early half is is the handoff. Eric, you mentioned, it's kind of a heist movie. It's got some elements of that heist aspect. Uh, when Walter tosses that out and it's he's got the ringer full of his whites, Um, They actually had to film that scene in reverse because they couldn't quite get the arc of the briefcase right. So the car is actually driving in reverse and a person is throwing the briefcase into the car. uh, And then they just flip it backwards in editing, which I thought was kind of interesting that they were so specific on the arc. They wanted that uh, briefcase to have. Um, And I don't know about you, Eric, but one of the biggest questions I've always had about the dude is how does he pay for everything? How does he pay for rent? How's he buy food, booze, pot, and and all the bowling that he does? Um, There's an early version of the script that has the dude as a descendant of the inventor of the Rubik's Cube. I thought that one was kind of interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that would be – that would fit in the movie. It would, and it would be funny. Um, I mean, he probably – you know, he's probably on some kind of assistance. You know, he – He's. I would never suggest he does any kind of odd jobs. No, because it, that's just not him at all. So I, I would imagine he's probably just either collecting, uh, you know, monthly type of check, or he, you know, he would be the type to have like won some type of settlement, you know, that he's able to collect on and just dip into uh, minimally, and allows him to write a check for <laughs> sixty nine cents at Ralph's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, I just thought that was. Interesting. They do talk a little bit about. Uh, Later, you know, I don't even know if it would have generated any revenue for him, but you know, we'll get into that later. But he, he does sort of give like the the biggest insider info to uh, the character MOD, uh, you know, much later in the in the film. Um, I but again I have no clue if that would have brought him any kind of wealth.
0: Yeah, it's it's always something that I've been trying to figure out like where exactly does his his funds come from. So uh just being a descendant of uh the guy who made the Rubik's Cube, that's just it's so obscure and random and it just fits perfectly with with his lifestyle that uh I, I kinda like it. Um the Cohen brothers, they are often known to kind of have specific actors in mind when they're writing characters. Um, so when they were writing this movie, they always knew John Goodman, uh, Turturro and Buscemi. They always knew that these guys were going to be who they were going to play when those characters were written. They sort of just pictured these guys. Um, they never actually had somebody for the dude. And I'm going to throw a name out there, Eric, and I want you to tell me what you, what you think would have happened. Uh, the name that they briefly considered was Mel Gibson. Now,
1: how would that have looked for the dude? Awful. <laughs> I guess I. I mean, I mean you know Mo Gibson's played. He's done comedy and he's quite good in comedy. Of, yeah, he's he's played a variety of different like cop type guys too, and like he was really cool in in uh, Ransom and uh, Payback, you know, where he actually wasn't a cop but he was doing some crazy stuff, and you know, but I just don't know that Slacker really fits, or at least you know it it may not have fit him. In you know the late nineties, I don't know that he would like he could do it now as I'm like an older guy, and I would believe it, but never, never in 1990. There
0: There's certain actors that just become a character that you literally couldn't picture anybody else ever playing that role. Um, you know, there's certainly ones that you could think of, but uh, to me, I can just not imagine anyone besides Jeff Bridges uh, as the dude. Like it just, I can't fathom any other person. Um, they could even have come close. Uh, it just there's no way. Um, so other than other than the dude, um, they also didn't necessarily have anyone for the big Lebowski, Jeffrey Lebowski. Um, there's some names they considered that I actually think are kind of interesting. And, and I'm not going to say their choice was a bad one. Certainly, I think he's very good in the role and he, he makes me laugh. And he, he does a phenomenal job, I think, of, of portraying that uptight character who's who's definitely scheming on his own. But I'm going to throw out three names for you that they considered uh, who all turned it down for one reason or another. It just didn't work out. Gene Hackman, Anthony Hopkins, and Marlon Brando. Which of those do you think would have been best?
1: Well, weirdly enough, if you put them all in like a wheelchair, they would look the same. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's, they kind of have the same like facial structure. Like if we're talking like polygon you know, goldmine on the 64, they would have all been close. <laughs> um, I guess, I mean, I could have seen Gene Hackman do it. Cause he does kind of come off as that crotchety judgmental, you know, bastard who was, you know, in Korea or Vietnam. And, you know, now he's home and everybody that's not done what he's done is a slacker. And, you know, I, I could definitely get that. I don't, I don't know about Marlon Brando. I think
0: that's who they really wanted initially. That, that was kind of
1: their big pick. They wanted initially. Um, I, it's not that it would have been beneath his chops, but, like, it just wouldn't have, like, because it's not, like, a cameo. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, like, this weird, like, appearance, you know, where he's a relatively minor character, you know, like, the big Bowser, is a, is a major player in, like, he's a, uh, a pivotal role in, you know, the heist, and, because it's, like, a, it's, like, a three-pronged heist, which is what makes it really interesting, but, you know, he has a lot of, Pretty important lines and stuff and, and I just I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't see Marlon Brando doing that. Um,
0: I really uh, like Anthony Hopkins. I, can see Gene Hackman I, I think Gene Hackman, especially if you've seen the yeah. movie Hoosiers, you can definitely see Gene Hackman as, as yeah. the big Lebowski. And I actually started picturing Anthony Hopkins in that role and really liked it, too. So I, I think any of those guys could have done it. Uh, Marlon Brando, you know, he, we, we've heard that towards the end of his career, he was somewhat a little more difficult on set. So I, I don't know how that would have worked. But the, the other two guys I could have seen in a heartbeat uh, and done great jobs. Yeah. Um, Bunny Lebowski, Before the role went to Tara Reid, uh, Charlize Theron was was initially considered, which um, would have been kind of interesting. So uh, I would have been cool with it. Could have worked for sure. Um, and she's a
1: as long as the wardrobe stuff was all the same. Then hey, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, for a movie that spends all the time they do on bowling, the dude is actually never seen on camera throwing a ball, and it's one of those things that until you read that stat. You don't even really realize it. Like if I would, did you ever realize that, Eric? Is that something you'd ever picked up on until I just said that?
1: I, no. So I knew it because you had told me like forever ago. And um, so like on my watch this time around, I I really wanted to like see if there were other characters who you know bowled but didn't actually bowl. And I will say that he gets really really close um, in one of his dream sequences. The one with like, Maud, yeah. Showing Maud how yeah. to bowl. Yeah, and he's really like cranking his arm back there, but ultimately she's the one who rolls the ball, so he really truly doesn't um, doesn't do that. And uh, Walter, I think you see him both once. Yeah, but, right um, after, uh, and of course uh, the, the, height,
0: the the exchange goes bad.
1: Yeah, Jesus uh, Quintana, he's uh, you <laughs> you definitely get to see him roll the ball and, <laughs> and do other things with the ball. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. And Donnie. Um, he rolls a strike. Every time you see him bowl the ball, he rolls a strike, except for the last time in the film that he bowls. And we'll, when we get to that, we'll Yep, a little it. bit of foreshadowing there for sure. Um, on our last show, uh,
0: where we talked about Goodfellas, uh, which, listeners, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, uh, certainly it's it's a film that Eric and I had a lot of fun talking about because it's a film that's that's meant a lot to us. Um, one of those things that we talked about was how improvisational that, that filming was, that the actors were allowed to to improvise as much as they were. And, and that's part of what makes it feel like the dialogue is so real, like these characters really live, breathe and exist. Um, this film really feels like it could have been done the same way. I mean, if, if I were to tell you that most of this film was improvised, you go, Oh yeah, you can totally see that just in the way they were interacting with one another. And, and, you know, they were not necessarily always speaking in full sentences, especially Walter, you know, he'll clip his sentence and, and stop and start and things like that. It really feels like this could have been improvised. Uh, but this film was not improvised in almost any way at all. Every single expletive, every single man. Everything was carefully planned out in the script, and the only known improvisation that made it to the final cut is when the dude calls Jeffrey Lebowski a human paraquat. Uh, Eric, do you know what a what a paraquat actually
1: is? <laughs> you know what? It's funny you say that because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, while I was watching it, I'm like sitting here taking notes, and he says that, and I'm like, ooh, make sure you look up paraquat. And then I didn't because I got sidetracked in – Looking up, uh, I mean, it could be uh, my niche now, but it, I was looking up the number of f bombs. Yeah, which, by the way, at uh, f bomb per minute, it actually was higher than uh, Goodfellas at 2.4 per minute. Um, it could vary. I saw different numbers, but the the highest uh, clock that I got on it was like 281.
0: Yeah, I saw um, anywhere from 260 again, like, to 280. I saw those are the numbers that I saw.
1: Yeah, and I but see, like it's hard to tell because like I saw people w- with different runtimes for this. You know, like the, my DVD said one thing and then, uh, you know, the official IMDb page said this and then Wikipedia said that. So I don't even know what the real runtime is based on, you know, any of that. So, it, you know, it was up there. It's a, it's a high one for sure. But please do enlighten me on what a paraquat
0: So is. I looked this up because I, I've never known. I've been watching this film since 2000 or 2001. OK, so I've been watching this film for 20 years now. Have never known why a human paraquat would be any kind of insult. Um, it's actually a highly toxic herbicide. There you go. A paraquat is a toxic herbicide.
1: So, I mean, would that be like something the dude would have known from like some comparisons to like Agent Orange? I mean, but despite being the slacker, lazy, you know, stoner of a dude that he is, he's pretty well educated. you You know, he watches the news and. Uh, you know pays attention to stuff, so like he does have uh some some lines that suggest that he is of higher intelligence, so just wondering if that's just what, maybe that would you, up, know, you know the
0: dude it could he could be a guy that and I think everybody either has a friend, a relative, somebody they know, somebody you went to school with that probably had a lot of potential, probably was a pretty pretty sharp person, maybe started falling in with some stuff that um made them not as interested in following up on some of those uh, uh, other um, you know, abilities and, and never really show that promise. You could probably see the dude as a guy who, hey, he probably didn't get phenomenal grades in high school, but it's probably because he just didn't care enough and was probably smart enough to pass a lot of that stuff. He just didn't care. He was smoking pot and bowling.
1: Um, but, yeah, Oh, he could definitely walk into, like, a college philosophy class and take no notes and probably ace it, you know. Well,
0: especially when you think about some of the – conversations they have around nihilism and pacifism and and all of these other things. Um, The dude has opinions on this stuff. Um, He understands the concepts. Um, He gets it, you know, like he doesn't get real deep into it. And and there's people have used this film to try to um, look at it from a socio-political standpoint and things like that. Other than just pacifism, the dude never really, um, he doesn't really take any stances. Like, you really wouldn't know where he falls on the spectrum, you know, of of, of political opinions and things like that. Um, you know, he's such a pacifist that, um, you know, he's so chill about things. Like, when, when he's in the bathtub and the, the uh, Nihilists come for him and they throw the, the weasel <laughs> in his tub, like, he's he's surprisingly chill about people being in his house who don't belong there. Like, he doesn't
1: really... Flip out in the same way, like, please. Wow. Like, also at the end of a roach and uh, you know his his response that is, Hey, this is a private residence, man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, if I'm if I'm in the shower and somebody breaks into my house that's not there, I'm gonna have a very different reaction than uh, than he did. Um, but he's looking for the nearest gap piece and yeah. uh, I'm gonna it goes click, man. <laughs> right. So, you know, I just think uh, I think it's interesting, but you know, getting back to Paraquat, I, I really feel like this is a word I need to work into my repertoire of in salts because how how awesome is it and and funny to give to say something to a person knowing full well they're gonna have to go home and Google that to figure out if what you said to them is a bad thing or, or a compliment um, and then to look up that it's a highly toxic herbicide um, I just I find that funny um, last one I've got is, it's not really necessarily a behind the scenes, but more of, of kind of an Easter egg. It's not even in this movie. It's in a future movie. Um, if you're a frequent subscriber and a listener to Matt Goes to the Movies, you know that on this channel, uh, we love comic book movies. Uh, we love talking about comic book movies. We love the MCU. And there's a moment in Avengers Endgame uh, where, and I actually, when I first saw Thor in Avengers Endgame, mild spoilers if you haven't seen Endgame, by the way, um, which you should. Uh, go see that. It's, it's on Disney+. Plus. Like, go watch all of them. Um, but as soon as I saw what Thor kind of looked like, I immediately thought of the dude from The Big Lebowski. And in an Endgame, Tony actually calls the overweight version of Thor Lebowski, and it just made me crack up in the theaters. And what's even funnier is knowing that The Big Lebowski is a movie starring Jeff Bridges, who also played Obadiah Stane in the very first Iron Man film. So it's just kind of funny to think about, you know, not necessarily that little paradox, um, but just, you know, kind of that little tie-in and that little wink and nod. Uh, Eric, did you have any other behind-the-scenes details besides the ones that uh, I mentioned?
1: Yeah, so just uh, for listeners to be aware, uh, the dude is actually based on a real human being. Um, His name is Jeff Daub. Um, And this is where there's actually some... References to uh, the basis for for Jeff Dow um, and what he did in, in his early life um, when the dude is in in bed with Maude and she says you know tell me about yourself and, um, so he says that uh, he was one of the authors of the original Port Huron Statement um, you know the first draft not the lesser second draft whatever it was so that was actually a real document uh, it's like a manifesto uh, released in 1962 from the Students for a Democratic Society. um, So that uh, Jeff Dodd was actually uh, a member. um, And then the Seattle Seven, he mentions that as well. Um, Jeff Dodd was one of the most famous members of uh, the Seattle Liberation Front, um, which was uh, an anti-war group that was founded right after the um, Students for a Democratic Society had broken apart. Um, So he was part of all that, and then he later moved to L.A., L.A., and befriended um the cohen's and he ended up being the inspiration for the dude
0: there's also an inspiration for uh walter i don't know if you had known this one or not but uh he's actually based on uh the screenwriter for apocalypse now who was definitely big in the military history uh big into guns and uh you know parts of that character were based on him i don't remember the, the guy's name at the moment but i just i'd remember i'd seen that too um Talking about other characters of this movie, it's it's amazing that a movie that is this beloved really doesn't have anything else that exists. There have been no tie-ins, no real follow-ups, until somewhat recently. There was a film released called Jesus Rolls, and this is something that John Turturro went to the Cohens and and got their permission to make a spin-off film using his character uh, Jesus Quintana, and. Uh, It's actually based on another film. Um, So in preparation for this, I was like, you know what? I kind of remember hearing about that coming out, but I never saw it. So I I got the film, checked it out, and uh, listeners of Matt Goes to the Movies, who might be big Lebowski fans, uh, who are like, oh, yeah, I kind of wanted to check that out. I'm going to do you a favor because I've already seen it. I'm going to save you the pain that I experienced from having watched this movie because it is terrible. There is almost no redeeming qualities of this movie. Um, there's like one scene where he's bowling. There's, there's maybe two parts that I laughed out loud in. It's kind of bizarre. Um, I'm not I'm really so sure what the point of is. This. This. I know. And I'm not really sure what the point of the movie is. Like, I turned it off and I looked at my wife and we were both trying to figure out, like, why does this movie exist? What was the point of this? Um, and it was really disappointing because I was kind of hoping it. The, the only thing that this movie really does, so they, they present the character of Jesus as, as a pedophile um, for exposing himself to an eight-year-old. Um, they try to explain this towards the beginning of the movie as kind of almost more of a misunderstanding where they're, you know, he's having a conversation with a kid at a, at a public uh, bathroom. <clears throat> he's in a men's room and he just kind of like, they're having a conversation and he just kind of turns to the kid and somebody else sees it. Um, so in terms of, you know, making, you know, cause why would you make a movie about a pedophile as your, as your central character and hero? Um, you know, so they try to, lessen that a little bit um but there's 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 nothing redeeming about this so don't even bother with it um so they make this movie jesus rolls about a a side character not one of the the the, you know certainly not our main character uh eric if i had to get if you had to green light a hollywood spinoff to the big lebowski um what characters would you have rather seen besides jesus um get their own spinoff movie
1: if you could and, pick anybody uh, i mean walter uh, for sure cuz i want to know what that dude does in his free time <laughs> besides bowl <laughs> um that would have been great and uh probably uh, no that's it
0: so the three that i kind of thought of um i definitely think donnie is an interesting enough character where i would have liked to you know kind of know more about him um the private detective that actually is hired by Bunny's family to kind of track her down, uh, that guy seems quirky and weird enough where if you gave him his own movie, I'm kind of thinking almost like Ace Ventura, where he's, he's a detective, but he's, he kind of just what falls, I know, he just kind of falls into stuff on accident, not really because he's actually good at what he does. Like that would have been really funny to me. And the, the character I think I actually would like to see the most get his own spin off, uh, would have been Brandt. Um, Brant, I knew it. For I sure. knew it as soon
1: as I said there was nobody else. <laughs> I sat there and I said, "Man, Brant would actually have been great because he's so painfully awkward."
0: You know, there are there's a couple actors in this film that really sell their character and really just the over the top weirdness of this movie. And Philip Seymour
1: Hoffman is. Philip Seymour Hoffman is obviously, I mean, you know, up to his death, he was knocked it out of the park. He's fantastic. He could play any, any, any character. He could do it. I mean, just the way that he fully commits to making
0: Brant as awkward and strange and over the top, you know, as he did. Um, it, it just, there's, there's actually a couple of characters that are like that. I, I actually think Julian Moore's portrayal of Maude. uh, she really commits to it hundred percent. Um, and, and, you know, we don't see anything like this in any of her other work. So, um, you know, I, I do, but I really think that, uh, if you know, if we would have seen Brandt get his own spinoff, that would have been a, a pretty funny and, and compelling movie. Um, something that's a major part of this whole film is the dude's beverage of choice, the white Russian. Um, I've seen a variety of different uh, recipes out there online. Um, there's probably a lot of people who are listening to this that have never actually had a White Russian. So, um, Eric, what is your favorite uh, uh, mixture for White Russian? What's what's your preferred uh, what's your preferred ingredients as far as um, how much you want to mix? I've seen five parts vodka to three parts Kahlua and three parts cream. Uh, me personally, I like equal
1: thirds. Uh, what do you like? Um, So it really is kind of just based on a a regular, you know, rocks glass or Collins glass, how, you know, however people want to identify their, their, uh, glass, but I just throw three moderate cubes in there and then equal Kahlua, equal rum one to one on those until it's, you know, probably two thirds full and then top it off with uh, the dairy of your choice. I've, I've had it with, uh, Cream. I've had it with milk. I've never had it with heavy whipping cream, which is what uh, a lot of people recommend the most because it's supposed to be kind of a a dessert cocktail. Yeah. But um, really, to me, the the most important factor in all of that is just that it's very big. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So you you, use. So you literally just brought me like a a triple. Ooh. Not knowing that I'm already three Caucasians deep at this point. (laughs) Right. uh, If my if my speech gets a little bit goofy by by the end of this, you'll you'll know why.
0: Well, I mean, if you're talking about the Big Lebowski, how how do you watch this movie without a beverage? I mean, it just it doesn't feel like you're you're doing it right if you don't have a beverage while watching this movie. So you switch out the vodka
1: for for rum. No, 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 no. I mean, you can. That's that's actually uh, what do they? Call I think it? that'd be something it, different. Something like a white Cuban. Yeah, they, they, there's there's a name for it, but. Um, no, I I just do equal parts Kahlua and, and vodka. If I said rum, I'm stupid. I I, I misspoke. But um, no, it's yeah, vodka, and Kahlua, and then just top it off with cream.
0: Yep, uh, that's that's or, you're pretty close no, to no, mine. I, I I like equal yeah. thirds. You, you take however size the glass you want to use. Um, the glass directly to my left was at one time equal thirds of uh, milk to Kahlua to vodka. Um, and I've never actually tried it with the heavy cream. That does sound pretty good, though. I, I actually just typically use milk. I don't usually keep uh, other kinds of cream around because I usually drink my coffee black. So uh, I just use milk, and I've never had it uh, not taste good. I've, I've always been pretty happy with it. Uh want to move into our next segment. We're going to talk about our favorite scenes and any scenes that anytime they're, they're on when you're doing a watch that you go up and you mix another white Russian for yourself, you refill that glass. So, uh, Eric, I'm going to let you go first. Um, your favorite scene, or if you really can't narrow it down, because, you know, obviously this is a movie that we feel pretty strongly about. If you, if you can't narrow it down to just one scene, uh, what would be your favorite scenes uh, that you just can't get enough of every time it comes on?
1: Um, I really love... We kinda of touched on it already, but I I really love the uh the home invasion with the nihilists and the the marmot, as the dude says. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's sitting there, he's in a tub, he's got candles lit, he's listening to freaking whale songs on a cassette tape, you know? <laughs> <And> He's <laughs> he's holding on to a roach clip and just burning one down. And then these nihilists bust in and he just says, Hey, this is a private residence, man. Um that whole process is great. Um it's also extremely funny when he, again, is trying to finish off a roach while he's driving, uh, which, by the way, is 73 Ford Gran Torino, and despite it looking beat up as, as crap, it uh, it's an awesome-looking car. Um, but he tries to pluck his roach out the window, and it ends up, like, landing under his crotch, and he just, like, does this high-pitched, like, yelp. While he's trying to get it done, and then he smashes into a dumpster, and the car just, like flips up in the air, like real high, and then lands back down on its wheels, and it's just, uh, it's 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 funny because it's just him landing himself into another, you know, spot. Um, and then the probably a low-rated scene, as far as maybe underrated, I should say, not low-rated, but um, when he gets dropped it uh, after the Jackie Treehorn party and he ends up in the Malibu uh, police station and and the chief there or captain, whatever he is. um, He's actually a really great actor too, but um, he's sitting there just scolding the crap out of him says, I don't like your jerk off name. I don't like your jerk off face. I don't like your jerk off behavior. I don't like you jerk off. (laughs) It's just, it's a great line. It's so funny and it's, You know what I
0: love about that cop? And we talked about how Brandt really commits to what he does. This cop, the guy who plays him completely commits to it. What really occurred to me on my recent rewatch, this was something. This is a speech that this cop gives everybody that he arrests in Malibu who doesn't really fit in. Like this is not something he just came up with. This is his go-to, and he is proud of it. Like yeah. he's rehearsed it, he's refined it over the years. He is proud of this speech, and it works, and he intimidates people with it. Um, I just, I love how. Yeah, it if you hears don't have it. a
1: Malibu address, that's that's his, you know, that's his speech there to you. I um, I, d- I love there. that. Uh, You know, when we're talking about... He hits him in the face with a mug. (laughs) And he calls him a fascist? Love that. Yeah, the dude's like, ah, fascist! And he falls over. It's great. Um, Um, But ultimately, the the best scene for me, and it's probably... We're talking pantheon of greatest scenes in a comedy. It's up there. And it is, you know, again, this is a pretty big spoiler, but, you know, we'll get to it. But um, it's the, the last... One of the last scenes of the movie when they're spreading ashes. Um out of a coffee can and the wind blows and the whole thing ends up just all over the dude's face and body. I laugh my balls off every single time I see it because his expression doesn't change at all and, like, Walter has no idea that it's actually, like, that's what's happening, and then he just turns around, and he's just like, oh, I'm sorry, dude, and he's trying to, like, wipe it off, and he's not even, like, the dude's not even mad about it, he's mad about, like, the, you know, the speech, that he's trying to give, like, some kind of eulogy, and he's connecting it to Vietnam, and Oh my God, it's such a great, well-written, well-acted scene. And it's hilarious.
0: You know, you mentioned at the beginning of the show that this is, um, it's a, it's got elements of the heist movies that you love so much, but it's also got a lot of great dark comedy elements too. And, and that's, that's one of them. I mean, he's literally covered in the remains of one of his best friends yeah. and he's just there. Remains. Yeah. He's got, he's yeah. got a person all over him in ash form. And, uh, and he just kind of like stands there and it's just, you know, nothing really phases him unless he's, you know, burn his going to burn his crotch with it with a, a roach. Um, for me, favorite scenes, it's it's there's so many. Like I mentioned, this this film is so almost episodic with its writing. Um, it really is.
1: That was, and, uh, what, who's the, the guy that based off like the, the type of. Storytelling. What was his name? Was it Chandler or something like that?
0: Uh, yes. And I miss it.
1: Um, yeah, I had that, um, so that was actually his part of like his style was episodic like you know that was something that was very deliberate Um, that I, I read that the you know Cohens had said this in an interview
0: and ultimately what they wanted is yeah they wanted it to be episodic like this but all and in this big grandiose plot with all of these twists and turns that ultimately in the end means nothing Um, because none of it really connects Um, I mean it does yeah. like the, things happen but you start you know the the whole thing with Larry Sellers like it didn't really go anywhere like it didn't you know it's. Just um, this whole grandiose thing with all these twists and turns, and ultimately she just shows up back at the house, and you know, Donnie dies, and and they just kind of go on with their lives. Um, In terms of favorite scenes, though, again, there are so many, uh, but if I really got to narrow it down. there's really two that stand out for me, and, and it really sets the stage for what the rest of the movie's gonna be like. And that's the opening scene in his house when, uh, Treehorn's thugs kinda beat him up and, um, you know, put his head in the commode and things like that. Just, um, it's so funny. There's so many great classic lines in there. Uh, and then the first scene in the bowling alley when he's explaining the story of getting his rug peed on, um, where we really get introduced to Walter. We kind of really have a better idea of the dynamic of the friendship between uh, the dude, Walter, and and Donnie. Um, you know, which really brings me to this, Eric. I, I'm watching this movie again, and and it, it occurs to me, why exactly is the dude friends with Walter? He doesn't seem to like him very much. I'm not sure what the dude gets out of that relationship with Walter. Um, has that ever kind of occurred to you? Have you wondered about that before?
1: Well, sort of, but, like, he does – like, after – what did Walter do? Whatever he did. He did something. um, Well, maybe it was after the ringer. I don't remember when he threw the ringer out, but he calls the dude and and apologizes to him, and, you know, and he's like, I love you too, you know, Walter. He's So, like, he's – there's definitely something there to their friendship, and it's not really explained or explored at all, but, you know, he's definitely – Walter's, you know, on the extreme – You know, side of the you know, clearly not a pacifist. Um, (laughs) Clearly not. (laughs) You know, and when he pulls out the gat at the, you know, (laughs) it's pointing at Smokey, and then like that whole thing too is hilarious because after he's done, like he puts the piece away and he's like, "It's a league game, Smokey." Like, you know, that just that justifies it. You know, he just quietly says, "It's a league game, Smokey." (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't. I don't really know what I don't know what the dude gets out of it. I will say though, like I did try to pay attention a little bit to to his interactions with Donnie because you know it's like really rude and disrespectful. He actually is nice to Donnie a couple different times, um, which actually kind of surprised me. When like when I was sitting there, I was like, oh, he he was nice to him. Like he just said a nice thing to Donnie. Yeah. Um. So it's not like he's a dick to him constantly. Um. But it's you know, I don't know. It's. It's, it's an odd, it's an odd relationship.
0: Yeah, I, it's one of those ones that's hard to explain. And I think a lot of people have that friend that, you know, their, their significant other says to them, why do you hang out with that guy? He's an asshole. He is, but he's my asshole. You know, like, I, I think a lot of people sort of have that friend. Um, and by the way, if you don't within your circle of friends have that friend, you might be that friend. Just throwing that it's out. Probably, there. You. it might yeah. be you. Uh, so you should you should take a look at that. Um, so we talked about our favorite scene. Um, let's talk about any scenes that um, maybe are skippable, or you leave it on and you go pour yourself another White Russian. Uh, for you, Eric, do you have one for this film?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, a few, I guess. It's probably any of the the dream sequences, like when he gets knocked out, uh, either via fist or um, chemical uh, you know cocktail Yeah
0: it gets roofy um,
1: it's they're like, you know, they're artistic and I appreciate them and the music's good and, you know, it it is cool, but like it it brings literally zero to the plot or anything like that. And you know, it, it after you've seen it four or five, six times, it's just not necessary to see it again. It doesn't bring any you know, it doesn't do anything for me. So those are times when I will certainly get up and Ask for another Caucasian, Gary. <laughs> um, it's hard to disagree with anything you just said. The first dream sequence for me
0: is is my most skippable scene. And on my most recent rewatch, I literally did get up and pour myself another white Russian. Um The second one, you know, I kind of feel very similar to you. After you've seen this movie a couple of times, like I'm not saying I feel like the, those scenes shouldn't have been in the movie. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's just after you've seen it a couple of times, like you don't, you know it doesn't really do anything it doesn't really add anything for you the second one i think is a little more fun um the first one i don't know i i i could probably just walk out of the room uh when that scene's on uh outside of that there's um there's not a single scene in this movie that i i can't wait till it's over because there's something in every single of these mini episodes within the film um, that I'm looking forward to in that scene. There's there's something that's going to happen that I can't wait for that payoff or that line um, or that action to happen. So um want to move on to our next segment. It's, a, it's something we've had in every episode that we've done so far called Notable and Quotable. And I include this because one of the things that makes an all-time classic, a true classic, uh, one of the things that certainly contributes to that are great lines, great writing, witty dialogue, um, things that you'll say to your friends, things you'll say to your relatives, things you'll adapt into your own vernacular. Um, and in a comedy like this, I don't necessarily want to list every great line from it because um, you know the, we could be here all night just just doing lines from the movie and I don't I don't think that's really what we want to do. Um, but I'll tell you what I found interesting about this is I was trying to write down some of my favorites on my most recent rewatch. You think about comedies a lot of times as having these great setups and great lines and, and, and this movie doesn't really have a lot of like big punchlines or really witty one-liners. I, I think a lot of the things that make me laugh are some of the simple, like stupid little things. And I'll give you an example that's <clears throat> perfect for, um, what I'm talking about. Um, after they screw up the handoff and, and he's walking away when he realizes his car's been set on fire, Johnny says to him, phone's ringing, dude. <laughs> And it's been ringing for hours. By thank the way.
1: you, Donnie. And he says, thank you, Donnie. And
0: it's 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 the stupid little things like that that I die laughing on every time. Um, another great example, I think, of, of this type of humor in this movie um, is is when he's in the in the office of the Big Lebowski. And, and he's asking him, you don't go out like that dressed for a job, do you on a weekday? And, and he says, is this a what day is this little things like that that's not necessarily a punchline, but it's those lines that every time they come on i'm rolling in my seat um so eric do you do you have a couple that um really stand out to you um that that really you know are, are the ones that no matter how many times you've heard them or how many times you've said them uh still get you
1: well yeah so like it's and it's most of the time, it's not like a line. It's like, a, it's a, a an interaction, right? Like yeah. it's a five or six second, like thing. So like, you know, when, when he's talking about the, you know, do you think the carpet pissers did this? You know, like that's great. And, you know, without any context, that line itself is not funny. But, you know, and when, and he like corrects him. and He says, no, woo, peed on my rug. Right. He, he's telling the big Lebowski because he knows the guy's name because, you know, they say it. But um, the other ones, when they're coming out, and you know, he's kind of scolding Walter about Smokey and he's saying, you know, he's got emotional problems and, and Walter's like beyond pacifism. <laughs> because he thinks that that's, you know, that's like a character an emotional plot. problem. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and then probably the only one like I could, that I really wrote down that, that just got me was that, that was actually just one line was when he's sitting at the bar after everything is screwed up and he says, my only hope is the big Lebowski kills me before the Germans cut my dick off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's, it's so funny. And, you know, it, it, there's, there's a lot of, it's mostly just interactions though. And, and it's, it's all great. I mean, the, you'll never be able to to watch this movie and not think in your head, when you hear somebody like talk to somebody named Larry, you're you're gonna want to say, Do you see what happens, Larry? And you're gonna be just screaming that over and over in your head. So like that's you know, that's memorable. That's great. So it's funny
0: you mentioned that. Um this movie is is actually somewhat famous in the uh in the land of uh network uh movies or, or uh you know basic cable sensors. Um for that specific line. Uh, the way that they adapt this, and there's a lot of great ones out there, you know, Die Hard, they changed to Yippee-Ki-Yay, Mr. Falcon, because there's clearly a character named Mr. Falcon in that movie somewhere. Um, but there's a lot of these great ones that you can find where they have to cleverly censor and edit these to be able to appear on on basic cable on TNT or USA or, or whatever you're watching. Uh, but this one gets changed to um this is what happens Larry when you find a stranger in the Alps. And that's just hysterical to me because it's it's such a non sequitur. It's amazing. The yeah. the cadence lines up, the number of syllables lines up. Um but it's it's it just doesn't it makes absolutely zero sense in context and it actually is funnier to me uh that that's what they do with it. Um when I think about the big movies from this uh, or the big lines from this movie Um, just little things like, uh, the, the opening scene that I mentioned that I like so much when he says, where's the money? And he says, it's down there somewhere, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. Um, it's just, it's so ridiculous and funny. And, and really when you think about what this movie is actually about, it's, it's one man's quest to get his rug back. You know, he's been wronged at the very beginning of this movie by, by just, Guy's looking at the wrong line in the phone book and he gets his rug peed on. So the line that I absolutely love from this is that rug really tied the room together. And I, I just, I think it's I, every time they say it, it just, it cracks me up. Um, you know, just little little silly ones like Jackie Treehorn treats objects like they're women. Man, um, I love that. Um, there's there's yeah. so many good ones in this, but <laughs> but you're right, Eric. Really, a lot of these are are the interactions that happen between one another. Some of the great lines are really in dialogue. They're not necessarily the punch lines that you get from a lot of comedies.
1: Yeah, anything with um, John Turturro, so that the the character of Jesus Quintana, anything that he says or does, is. Extremely funny, uh, and so like his interactions with them are great, especially when he comes back <laughs> after they get their uh, their semifinals uh, bowling moved because Walter is trying to observe uh, the day of rest, the Jewish day of rest. It was on a Saturday, and you know he he comes over and just starts freaking out on them, and it's equal parts funny and creepy, and it's exactly what that character is and. I guess that's why it just really bums me out about like that much more to hear that that spinoff just flopped. <laughs> it's I'll
0: tell you like, that's the thing is knowing that I was getting ready to talk about a movie that again, this has been part of my life for 20 years now. Um And it's a movie I love. We'll talk about that more when we get to Pantheon points. You know, it was kind of a weird choice that that's the character they make the spinoff for and for it to be so pointless and so, stupid really um and just nonsensical and and there's really almost no reason for it to exist um it kind of hurt my soul a little bit if i'm being honest like it i i i was very dissatisfied when i when i popped the dvd out um because i i didn't necessarily need it to be on the same level of of the big lebowski like i didn't necessarily need jeff bridges to walk on screen you know with with a joint in his hand and a, and a caucasian in his other hand like i didn't necessarily need that but I don't know. I kind of wanted that just to be something of, of merit. Um, so we're going to go ahead and move into our next segment, rewatchability rating and Pantheon points for a movie to be discussed here on the extended podcast universe of Matt goes to the movies uh, you know, on Rob's reviews here it, for us to even talk about it, you know, it just regular rating scales don't necessarily work. So uh, Matt has a five reel system. So, uh, you know, a movie can be zero reels to five reels. And on his show, when, when I get a chance to co-host with him and when he does shows by himself, when we invite Harrison on, um, we, we rank movies out of uh, five reels. And for us, you know, Eric, pretty much every movie you and I are going to choose is, is guaranteed going to be something we would give five reels. Five. To. Yep. So yeah. it's we have to come up with a different scale for these movies that uh, we just love immensely. Um, so we, we come up with rewatchability rating and Pantheon points. So the rewatchability rating is a one through five scale as well, with five being I would watch it start to finish every time I'm locked in. A four, I put it on and I play with my phone in between scenes that I love. Three, this is background noise while I'm doing housework. Uh, two, it's a film I enjoy, but don't go out of my way to watch again. And one, it just doesn't hold up the way I remember it. So, Eric, I'll let you go first. Uh, rewatchability rating: uh, Where does the Big Lebowski rank for you?
1: Um, this got to be—it's got to be almost a five. Like I feel like if we're going to try to be as, as strict and accurate and precise as we can be, you know, a five would would be somewhat false for me because I do not watch the dream scenes anymore. I just don't. So that's, like, I will 100% get on my phone and or walk away or, you know, do whatever to fill that time. So it's not going to be the, a full-on 5, so, but it's definitely slightly higher than a 4, so we'll give it a, like, 4.7, I think, for me.
0: Yeah, so I'm kind of in that range. I, I had written down, you know, 4.75. Um, it's kind of for those same reasons, the dream sequences. I'm not saying they don't belong in the movie. I understand their point; they, they're effective in what they do. They're maybe a bit long. Yeah,
1: I mean, they're actually they're a little bit comedic. You know, like when they're when you've got Flea in a a, <laughs> a, a, a gimp suit, yep, running in place carrying a ridiculously giant pair of scissors. You know, and that, that's that is funny. Okay, like I don't and. People should know this, by the way, if you don't know this, but Flea, the legendary bassist for the Chili Peppers, is a character in this movie. He's one of the nihilists. And it's it's wonderful. Um, and so, like, you should watch these dream sequences at least once. They are good. But, again, like, it, it's... You're not missing anything after you've seen them a few times. If you do walk away, you're not going to regret missing out on it like you would if you missed out on, you know, Walter to saying, like, this strumpet or, you know... You miss out on you know one, any of the millions of, of little interactions that are just so great because that's what it is. I mean I, that's why like I won't play with my phone except for those scenes because you really do just need to watch all of it.
0: It's one of those ones you know I'm, I have in here three. It's background noise while doing you know other other chores or housework or whatever. This is not really a movie you can do that with, I don't think, because you're going to get distracted way too easily. Because yeah. you roll from you're one scene to the other. Yep, you're going to stop and wait for the. You're going to stop doing
1: light. whatever it is. Like you've been folding that T-shirt for three hours. Nuh
0: uh. <laughs> yeah, you have. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, like, like you said, and like I mentioned before, it's, it's really those dream sequences where it kind of falls apart a little bit. But I'll tell you what really was interesting to me. So I, I mentioned before, it had been probably two years or more since I'd rewatched this movie. What occurs to me is when, if somebody who was not alive in the late 90s were to watch this, if, if, you know, eventually when, when my kids get old enough where I allow them to watch it, uh, there's going to be some things that they just will not understand. Uh, like the beeper. Um, they will, they're won't. they like, what's a beeper? Like oh, yeah. A beeper. Yeah. Well, he's
1: super like, he pumped about it too. He's like, they gave the dude a beeper. Yeah. You know, like it was a big deal.
0: Yeah. And the bag phone, um, that will be weird for them. It's a, an enormous bag phone too. It oh my God. So yeah. where
1: um, is wears it like crossbody. It's so big.
0: Yeah. The the bag phone, the beeper, um, the obsession kind of with Saddam, um, I think a lot of that stuff in the future just won't necessarily hit with with generations that didn't necessarily grow up with some of that stuff. Um, I kind of, I think there's, you know, the tape deck, like some of that other kind of stuff, I think
1: um, it won't necessarily. Like, just His headphones, the, head, the yeah. headphones he wears are like those really old. It's like black foam circles that just the ones you've got with the Walkman. Then... Yep. Yeah, and it was just this wire that went across your head, like it was just a flat metal, you know, flexible, somewhat wire that went over your head. No, no concern for comfort whatsoever at all, and, and you know, barely adjustable. Certainly no noise cancelling. Those now, <laughs> oh, definitely not. You know, but that's what like he's and he's like he's like wearing them in the doctor's office, which you know that's not a big like that's completely you know ubiquitous now, right? But like. In the 90s, that would have been like, you know, somebody's going to look at you like, come on, dickhead, pull your headphones off. He's just sitting there listening to something in the doctor's office, you know, on those crappy, crappy headphones.
0: Yeah. So I'm kind of in the same range as you. It's 4.75 for me in terms of my rewatchability rating. We're going to move on to Pantheon points. I've mentioned before that I've kind of, I don't have a favorite movie. I have three favorite movies, Um, and this one is one of them. You know, I've got I've got this one, I've got Avengers Endgame um, and Goodfellas. They're they're in a three way tie for me uh, for my favorite movies of all time. Um, it's really hard for me to separate one from the other for for a variety of different reasons. Certainly my favorite comedy of all time, uh, my favorite cult classic movie of all time. Um, I think there's a lot of you know different ways you know different pantheons you can you can rank this in. So. Um, Eric, if you're if you're okay with naming it, you know, as as favorite, top five, top three, top one, you know, top ten, whatever, uh, go ahead. But when you think about in your mind, when you categorize all the movies you love, um, where does the Big Lebowski rank for you? How do you how do you sort of categorize that in the overall pantheon of of movies you love?
1: If we're gonna narrow it down like genre wise, it's absolutely going to be top one or two for like dark comedies because i mean how many of those really are out there that you know are technically like going to fit that category of a dark comedy that genre it's it's pretty narrow and specific and and to be honest most of them suck so like you know there's not going to be that many so if it's not number one it's number two Uh, i would think like in bruges is probably the only other one i can name right now off the top of my head that i've seen and, and liked that would also fit that but um in terms of dark overall, comedy, like, you
0: you got to go with very bad things, though. Like that's in there.
1: Oh man, how could I forget about that too?
0: Wow. <laughs> that's wow! That's a really dark Christian Slater. Yep.
1: Dark uh, is, comedy, is, yeah. Is at the height of his his uh, creepy, you know, darkness game, too, man. Wow. Yeah. But, um, we'll, we'll have to do that one one day, but oh yeah. Um, I think like it's. I mean, it's top twenty overall. It's definitely hall of fame. Yeah. You know, you you don't, you don't have a a line in a movie that says, I can get you a toe. (laughs) I can get you a toe by 3 p.m. this afternoon with nail polish. (laughs) But you don't have a movie with a line like that that doesn't make it into the Hall of Fame. It's definitely there. I mean, it, it, it's, I was, I'm comfortable saying top 20. And one day somebody's gonna keep score and, and call me out, but <laughs>
0: I uh, well, so I would we say specifically maybe even don't top
1: tell. fifteen. It might sneak in there. Yeah, yeah, so
0: unless you're prepared for it, like that's the thing about great movies and movies that you love and love to talk about is so many of them your rating can change based on proximity. So if you have fifteen movies that you love and you watch one of you watch each of them back to back to back, and after you're done with it, you say to your friend. That movie is definitely in my top 10. You've just put 15 movies in your top 10. Now, I'm not the best at math, but 15 is a bigger number than 10. But when you're talking about movies that have made long term impacts on you, like it's one of those things where just the, if you've seen it recently, there's, you know, it's more present for you. You'd be like, yeah, that one's, you know, that one's definitely among the best.
1: I mean, 15 is more than 10. Well, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> nice. I like. I see what I have you have to say because we we didn't we didn't mention it, but we have to we have to mention this. Two different interactions with his landlord. That's it. Like that's all there is. Like he's he's in two scenes. Yep. And one of them is one of my favorite scenes, which I didn't mention. Like the one is is him doing his dance quintet. I think that he calls it, and it's ridiculous. It's a cycle. Awkward. Yeah. It's just the. It's the weirdest thing <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Um, but when he's telling the dude that he secured his venue, you know, it's the theater that he wanted to get, like, you know, like that's a big deal, you know, for this thing, you know, but he he says, you know, tomorrow's already the 10th and the dude goes far out. (laughs) He doesn't know why he's saying it. He's just, you know, that's the kind of guy he is. Like he's, he's just trying to respond positively to like everything. He's just, just far out. And so he's like, oh, oh, he's like, yeah, I just slipped the rent under my door, you know, like, and that, that does kind of start you wondering, like, where's, where's he get all this money? Like, how's he paying for this place? Because his place is not a dump either. It becomes you know, one but, after uh, it gets, you know, knocked over a couple of times. Yeah, trash trashed <laughs> multiple times and people micturate on his rug and then they steal the rug. And yeah, it's a lot of, too, when he, he's hammering that board in the floor so he can, like, wedge the chair against the doorknob but the door opens out. (laughs) The chair just falls over. It did absolutely nothing at all to stop anybody from coming in. And then like later on, he comes back into his house and he trips over that board because he forgets it's there. And it's just, that's great. It's good comedy, man.
0: Well, it's, it's one of those things like it's, it's a very clever person that wrote that because like I wouldn't, I would have never thought of that, you know, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about this. I'll tell you the other thing that, Watching it this time around, that I absolutely have never been able to uh, notice to the same degree is the editing in this movie. There are some scenes, very specifically, that the way that it's cut from one one to the other. There's some moments that are just fantastic. Um, it, the way that the sound is lined up, the way that they they decide to move from one thing to another. Um, I I really think what. If, you ha- if I had to narrow it down to the scene that I think best displays, the excellence in editing that they, they use is the introduction we get to Jesus. That whole thing, the parts they use in slow-mo, the amount of time they spend on it, um, the way they shoot the scene, just the way they cut from one to the oh, yeah. other.
1: The, the cinematography was really, really uh, high level there. and Obviously, and, and this is—I I, know—I've—I got to say a little bit more about the music here, and this is a perfect chance. But the the Gypsy Kings version of Hotel California—perfect choice. Crap is that good? It's so—it's so, so good. Outside of the movie, it's phenomenal. I listen to it, you know, once in a while, and it, it, this is where I got it. You know, I found it. I spent many minutes trying to figure out who that was and how I could. Uh, possibly not legally downloaded at the time. And the um but it fits that scene so so well and it also is kind of cool because later on in the you know the movie he's in a taxi and talks about how he hates Eagles and he ends up getting kicked out of the uh the taxi which also by the way I don't remember what exactly what song they were looking at getting licensing for. I think it might have been a Stones song. But whatever played uh, over the end credits, they were struggling to get it. Um, somebody wanted a crap load of money for it, and they weren't trying to pay that. So they let him screen like an early version of it. And whenever they saw the scene where he says, I hate the eagles, they were like, oh, it's yours. You can do it. So they ended up getting that uh, fairly cheap, which is cool. But um, I
0: think I had read that somewhere, too, it, which is
1: it just it makes me laugh. It is funny because the Eagles do suck, and I'm sorry, but that's just the truth of it. Um, but the man in me, Bob Dylan, they play that a few times. I think that actually plays during all his dream sequences. It's was really good. Um, Oyeko Bob was hilarious because it's happened after that guy who got his Corvette busted up mistakenly by Walter starts bashing the dude's car, which it's already been wrecked multiple times and stolen, but he's in the windshield. It's completely jacked up. They just struck out completely at Larry seller's house and they go to the in and out burger and they're just driving and it's playing. Oh, Mobile while they're driving around without a windshield and Donnie's in the back eating in and out burger. It's just, uh, and Donnie couldn't be burger. happier by the way. And dude's got yeah. this oh, stone yeah. cold expression on his just face. The look of, you know, F my life. I mean, that's, that's what his look is a lot of the times, but, uh, then Kenny Rogers uh, just dropped in. That's one of the one of the greatest songs from the the sixties, um, late sixties. That, that was I think sixty seven, but um, really really cool use of music. Um, not as many uh, super super you know marquee songs that um, we, we've had for the last couple uh, films we've talked about. But um, oh, certainly Goodfellas they, was. Viva Las great. Vegas was really really good. Whenever the um, they, the scene where. Bunny comes back. Uh it's the Sean Colvin version. It's not, you know, it's not Elvis. It's a little bit more produced, uh, which is really good. It, again, it fits. Um, you know, good use of music, but it's just not uh not as big. Not as not as many headliners. Yeah, I think um
0: it's not to the same level as Goodfellas of truly using the song to set the era and set the tone for the scene, but it's, it's very well, well done. The use of music and the choice of music. Uh, I think you hit it right on yeah. the head. It's it's Creedence, fantastic.
1: I mean, the credence was, was perfect. I mean, you couldn't pick a better band for the dude other than CCR.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an excellent choice. I, I think the obvious one that they skipped was maybe the dead, and I'm glad they didn't go that route. Um, cause I think CCR just kind of fits the,
1: the, dude a little bit better. Oh yeah, cause not every stoner was a, you know, deadhead. So, yeah, you know, I, th- I think that was probably exactly the right way to go with it. Um, I, I love the bit, you
0: talked about it earlier when he's talking to the landlord. Um, one of the things that occurred to me on my, uh, my rewatch recently was, uh, Far Out Man is kind of, uh, the original version of
1: Cool Story, bro yeah but without being like a dick about it
0: yeah it's it's his way of kind of like the dude never tries to make anyone feel bad about themselves he he never you know he he gets after walter a little bit because walter needs him to but in general he's uh he's a peaceful guy that just wants to go about his life and uh not get in the way of anything and exist and bowl and hang out like that's sort of that's sort of his thing to live and let live um and uh, there's actually, you know, the religion of dudism as out there, you know, people who uh, who have been ordained as dudists and have performed weddings uh, as dudists. Um, I love that. Yeah, so much. I, I, I just think that's so wow. funny. You know, we talk about uh, cult classics and, uh, you know, I, I think um, I started off the show, you know, talking about cult classics, I think. I think some of my favorite movies, obviously Avengers: Endgame, I mentioned, and Goodfellas. Those are, you know, one is a very critically acclaimed film and one of the all-time greats, and the other one, uh, when it was in the theaters, I'm pretty sure and I'd have to look up my notes, but I believe it made all of the money. Um, so those are far from cult classics. But um, I, you know, when I think back to some of the movies that I absolutely adore the most, yeah, mixed in with Indiana Jones and Star Wars and The Matrix and and Lord of the Rings and those sorts of things are films like Office Space, you know, films like Super Troopers, uh, films I know you, you feel the same way that I do about, Um oh, yeah. and these, these cult classics that you, you know, yes, of course, go see Avengers. Like, everybody knows you're supposed to go see Avengers, Um but The Big Lebowski and other cult films are, are sometimes those ones that you sort of need somebody introduce you to it. You don't necessarily, like... Come across this accidentally, like the way that you see Office Space isn't because you just search for it because you think it looks like it's funny. It's because somebody gave you the VHS tape of it in the nineties or the early two thousands and said, "Oh my God, this is my life. This is your life. This is so funny. You have to watch this." Um, and I think,
1: I think yeah, most it's not going to be on any of the uh, Academy Award playlists.
0: No, you know? no, um, and I think The Big Lebowski is uh, is also one of those.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is you know, if you've never been exposed to it, it's not through any fault of your own. Really, blame your friends because that's you know that's how people exactly. find out about these movies. Yeah, you have Tell bad your friends. friends. It, you get better. <laughs> and you know, like if for no other reason, you get to see Sam Elliott rocking a freaking superhero mustache. <laughs> <like> that mustache <laughs> would beat up Tom Selleck's mustache and Tom Selleck at the same time. <laughs> Legendary.
0: Um, yeah I mean it's (laughs) it's it's fantastic Um, yeah all-time great mustache for sure I want to say a quick thank you to uh, I we have a couple live listeners in the show right now Eric and I want to take a quick shout out and say uh, thank you to you uh, those of you who joined the live show and are listening in uh, make sure you go back and and subscribe to Matt goes to the movies Uh, we'd certainly love uh, for you to subscribe to the show and check out other things that are on the channel Uh, you can interact with like I mentioned, uh, you can find Matt Goes to the Movies on Facebook, uh, TikTok. Um, it's on Instagram. Uh, Matt has not started an official MGTTM OnlyFans yet. He's just going to do that for just his private account. He, he hasn't quite got to the, you know, maybe your kink is is nerds with beards. Hey, Listen, I'm not going to kink shame, but we just haven't started one for the show yet. Um, but you can certainly interact with us by email. Like I mentioned, MGTTMPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, A lot of great stuff all up and down the channel. Um, Matt is currently in the middle of a Tom Cruise marathon that was uh, supposed to be kind of prepping for um, the sequel to Top Gun, which unfortunately sounds like it's been pushed out. So I know that we're all kind of disappointed about that. Mission Impossible has also been pushed out. Um, but there's still a lot of great films uh, in Tom Cruise, his, um, you know, his his library of films that he's done uh, right now. Matt's got Minority Report out and I know he's got a couple other great ones. Of course, he's going to do Top Gun. I going to cover The Last Samurai, which is one of my favorite movies. I love The Last Samurai. It's I'm so looking forward to uh, when he puts that episode out. Um, Minor- Minority Report, like I mentioned, is up right now, and that's one of those great sci-fi classics that if you haven't seen in a while, you kind of forget how good it is. I've it, never
1: seen the Minority Report. Oh, it's good.
0: To- yeah, definitely check that it's out. And then,
1: uh, yeah, I think it is streaming right now too. I have it on like my watch list, but I just always, cause I'm such a doofus. I just go back to crap that I'm comfortable <laughs> with because I don't want to go outside of my comfort zone. And- I just watch stuff I already know is good.
0: Uh So Minority Report's really good. I, I definitely recommend it pretty highly. And then uh, make sure, Eric, when you're done, you download Matt's recap on it because it's, it's good. He does a great job of of talking about it. Um, we do have some future episodes coming up. Um, another collaboration with Harrison from the basement binge. Uh, we are going to cover all of the pirates of the Caribbean series. We're going to take each one a week at a time. We're going to start with the first one. I believe we're set to record the first one later this week. Uh, it's either this week or next week. I don't have my calendar in front of me. Um, so I always got to double check that whenever, uh, I I get the schedule from, uh, the, the director here at, at Matt goes to the movies and the program director. Um, So we've got that coming up. Um, Certainly, uh, if you like this episode and you haven't already checked out Goodfellas and Fight Club, those are the other two episodes Eric and I have done as part of the MGTTM EPU. I would definitely encourage you to go back and check those out. Uh, and certainly we talked about The basement Binge and our friend Harrison. He's got his own show where he talks about a lot of the same kinds of things, a lot of great movies and TV shows. Uh, he's got some other um, some other things he does. Uh, he did a really good one that I enjoyed about, uh, specifically why he loves Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles so much. Uh, and he spliced that in between uh, two reviews that were done on the most recent TMNT films. I was lucky enough to be able to be a part of the first one. We re- uh, Matt and I jumped on with him, had a great time. Uh, talking about the first TMNT movie. I wasn't able to be on the second one, but I think Matt and Harrison um, properly ripped that one apart. So uh, make sure you check those out. Uh, He also put up a review recently on Reminiscence and La La Land, which I haven't listened to the La La Land one yet, but I'm looking forward to it. But great stuff all up and down his channel. Uh, You can check out uh, both those shows, and email addresses will be linked in the show notes. Matt's going to put those up underneath the episode wherever you are downloading this. Uh, so, like I said, definitely make sure you check those out. Uh, also, check out Podchaser. It's a great way to leave individual reviews of episodes of shows or uh, shows as a whole. Uh, podchaser.com. You can just search for Matt Goes to the Movies. You can certainly and you can review this very show that you're listening to right now. Uh, Eric and I would love to hear your feedback, and uh, would certainly appreciate if you take, a time, take the time to rate it. Eric, the listeners have abided us talking about the Big Lebowski for a while. I think it's time to thank them. We're going to pass along our deep appreciation for downloading the show, and uh, encourage them to check out all of the other shows that we just talked about on the Matt Goes to the Movies library. Uh, this has been the Matt Goes to the Movies extended podcast universe for Rob's reviews, and we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee, enjoying my coffee.